Welcome back to another episode of Prison Talk with Tiff. Thank you for joining us again on episode two. I have a very special guest for you guys today, the 100 TV. Okay, I'm so excited to bring his story to you guys. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. He was sentenced to 19 years. Okay, but now he is free. He is focused and he is all about change. Welcome, the 100 TV. Thanks for having me. Hi, thank you for being on. I'm so excited about doing this interview today. That's what's up, me too. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your name. We want to know how old you are. Um, you know, just a little bit about what you've been doing. In your got book. you, got you. Uh, I'm Christopher Life Willers. Family and friends know me as Life. Um, also, I guess the main content creator at V100 TV. Um, a brand dedicated to not just educating but entertaining. We're trying to wake some people up. Um, and in 2003, I was sentenced to 19 years, uh, but I'm home now. And present day, we out here in Atlanta. We doing some. We doing some work in these streets. We trying to change some people's minds and keep them going down the path that I did. Exactly. That's what we all about here on Prison Talk with Tiff. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Um, where did you grow up? What kind of schools did you go to? What kind of you know, things that you do. Did you have siblings? What was your childhood like? Yeah, but uh, so I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Um, my story, I mean, I, my story is like so many others. You know, I had a mom and a father, but, you know, the marriage didn't work out. Uh, I remember them, you know, falling out about eight. That's when things started heading downhill. Um, you know, mama did her best, you know, to keep a roof over our head. She did that, but a lot of times she was working two jobs. I was the only, not really the only child, but I was the youngest child. I was the only one still living at home. Um, so, I mean, I was, I, I was running in those streets. You know, mom was at work and I started to wander out in those streets. About what age you would you say you started to go out into the streets? Uh, I would say as early as 11 and 12 um, when I really started to, you know, take my chance and get off the, the front porch, as they said. Uh, <laughs> and my eyes started to be open, you know, to some things at a really early age. And what would you say, you know, just now looking back on it, because they say hindsight is twenty twenty. What do you think you were looking for out in the streets? Like, oh, man, I mean, absence of my father, a lot of young men, uh, you know, a lot of young men, it's just that absence of fatherhood, um, you know, salute to the mothers, you know, most definitely. But a lot of times us as young men and for young ladies, too, they need their fathers. So, yeah, you, you know, when there's that void, we go looking for it. Um, and for me, I found some some older guys that were, you know, uh, I guess mentors or whatever you want to call them. But they they was definitely leading me the wrong direction. Right. So would you would you now would you call them mentors? Looking back on it. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, they they were supposed to be supposed to be big homies back then. But you know, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But we've all heard that before, so it's mm -hmm. okay. Everybody's learning. Most definitely. So, Tell me a little bit about how did you come into connection with the system first? I know you said your father um, wasn't around as much, but, you know, people in your neighborhood, were they going to jail in prison or is that something you saw a lot before you ended up? Yeah, I'm, man, the older we got, uh, 
things financially went downhill. So, you know, we went from losing our home to moving to a townhouse, to an apartment, to being in the, in the project. So um, that's really what influenced me. But at the same time, I was, I was one of those kids growing up. I, was, I excelled in school. I got A's and B's. Um, I was good in sports. I was popular. But nobody, my mother, they didn't really know what I was doing as far as me being in the streets. I started mm-hmm. hustling at a young age because my mother was, you know, she was scrambling to pay the bills. Not because of lack of effort, but she was one person. Um, so I was always good at playing playing the role of, of both parts. Um, I was the friend that everybody's parents loved, but the whole time I was the one that was thinking about how we're going to get money. Um, what's crazy is even through all that, I didn't, I wasn't getting in trouble. Um, I actually, I was in the United States Air Force, active duty. Um, you know, I enlisted I, I was at a young age, at 17, I enlisted during 9-11, right. all of that. Yeah. Um, again, I was one that was always able to excel everywhere I went, but because it was just a part of me that was still in the streets and I didn't let it fully go, you know, of course, basically one night. 30 seconds total cost me years off my life. Mm. Yeah. 30 seconds. That's deep. Yeah. And we're real. definitely going to get into that. Um, I mean, really, let's just get into it now. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? And I yeah. know you said you were 19, but you had joined the military just two years before. Yeah. What happened? Uh, like I said, I mean, I, again, I was good. I was excelling in the military. Even at a young age, I was an E3 um on a on a good i had a good career pathway where i was at um and what's crazy is i was actually supposed to be security forces in the air force which is basically the police which i tell people is hilarious all the time um i didn't end up going that route i ended up going a different route but um you know just just not making that decision to fully let go of the streets i came home one weekend to visit family uh older cousin you know what i'm saying that i was you know he family he had gotten into a little trouble financially um had asked me to drive him you know a couple of his buddies somewhere real quick they needed to take care of something um i agreed because i was like well i'm not getting out the car you know in my mind i'm gonna be loyal this is the risk i'm probably not gonna get in trouble nobody gonna know but like i said 30 seconds of driving you know, well, obviously a little bit more, maybe five minutes total to get there and leave. Um, man, it cost me, it cost me 19 years. Well, it cost me to get sentenced to 19 years with a, with 144 years over my head, which I t- I was just talking to somebody about earlier today. So did you know exactly, you know, what they were doing or, you know, what the risk was? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew what they do- they were doing. I was the youngest by 10 years. Um, Still, I'm not saying that I wasn't responsible. I should have known, but I shouldn't have got in the car. I shouldn't have drove. I know all that. But uh, I remember my cousin saying, he was like, man, nobody's going to get hurt. And that was what I hung on to. I was like, all right, nobody's going to get hurt. They just going to scare them. They just going to get the money. They're going to go. Nobody's going to get hurt. Everything going to be good. Nobody got hurt physically, but I mean, you know, it didn't matter. Commonwealth of Virginia, um, you know, robbery's robbery. So, mm. you know. Mm. Okay, okay. And so once you did um, go ahead and get convicted, well, before you were convicted, when you were just charged, did you fully understand um, the laws pertaining to, you know, what it is that you guys had done or 
know what your options were in court? Did you feel, you know, educated about that? Were you just thrown to the wolves? Right. Not at all. And I tell guys, I do a lot of mentoring nowadays, present day. Um, I get a lot of phone calls, not just from guys that are locked up, but from family members. And I tell people the first thing you need to do is start researching the law. I don't care if you got a paid lawyer or not, know the law yourself. Um, because I didn't. I came from obviously a family that was struggling financially. Um, when I got in trouble, we couldn't afford to get a lawyer. So I had a public mm -hmm. defender, um, which is the worst case scenario, you know, especially for a person, you know what I'm saying, a, a, a color in this country. I'm just being honest. Um, yeah. You know, you go into that courtroom, you don't know the law, you're at the mercy of it. In my case, uh, I was offered actually to go home day one, um, didn't have to do one day. I didn't take the opportunity because that's just something I believed in at the time as a 19 year old um, young man. I didn't take the offer. Um, and what happened was at that point, they refused to work in any way. Because usually what they'll do is when they get you in court, they'll offer you a plea um of some sort to keep you from going to court or in front of the judge and that's how they get their guilt their guilty conviction or their conviction rate so high and that's how they keep their jobs and we can go into that too but yeah, <laughs> um but in this case because i didn't cooperate with them they didn't even offer me a plea so um 19 years old um going in front of a judge and i got a public defender that comes in and he says you got the best i can do is give you 32 years and i remember as a 19 year old kid i said there's no way um i didn't have anything to stand on and other than my heart <laughs> like it's crazy I, i've never been more scared but more brave in that moment because i was like i gotta do something and i told i told i looked at my lawyer and i said man just tell him i want to be home before i'm 40. And that might sound crazy to somebody that didn't really understand what was going on, but I was facing six life sentences um, just because I was behind the wheel. Virginia didn't have, there was no conspiracy charges, which I thought there was. I didn't know the law. Um, so basically I had to make a decision in my mind. What's the number that I can offer them that I'm willing to do and that I'm all right with that I can get home off of? And that's what's going on with a lot of people every day, Monday through Friday in the course. They don't talk about that. You know what I'm saying? But my situation was crazy. I went in front of the judge um, and my lawyer did go out there, give him that message. And at 19, he gave me 19 years. So I knew I had a fighting chance, but it was bittersweet. So are you saying that they were willing to let you pick the amount of time as long as they felt like it was a long enough time or no um not at all it was just that the lawyer when my lawyer came in there and said the best i can do is get you 32 years i just said look man tell him i need to be home i'll, I'll do whatever but i need to be home before i'm 40. it was literally just a cry for help a plea me just throwing it out there um again a 19 year old kid with nothing to stand on you know, other than I didn't have any prior convictions, but no, nah, they didn't let me pick. Um, but the judge had mercy that day in whatever way he did. You know, if you could look at it like that. I was about to say, is that mercy? Did he have mercy? Man, <laughs> if you, it, the judge, the history, the track record of that judge was crazy. 
it might be considered that. And he and it wow. this yeah, it's, yeah. It's a whole deep story behind him. There's a lot of stuff going. We we're deep in prison advocacy and uh prisoner rights and we're working with Virginia Department of Corrections to this day. Um shout out to Miss Jessica Lee, reentry program, all that, but we working. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. So after you did go ahead and get convicted, you said it was two thousand and three, is that right? So tell me some of the last things you remember about the free world, your 19-year-old self. What kind of songs, what kind of cars Man. was going on in your life in 2003? Just life. Uh, you know, I always had a big group of friends. Um, you know, I don't know. Life was good. I felt invincible, though. I didn't really understand what was happening until it happened. I remember getting off work. Uh, picking up my mother at the time I was smoking uh, smoking cigarettes. I was doing recruiter's assistance, um, which is like two weeks. You just go into the office, uh, do some paperwork with the recruiter, try to get some guys signed up for two weeks before you go. Sometimes they extend it to a month. So I had got out the office, picked my mother up. I'm smoking a cigarette. She's like, you need to stop smoking. I looked at her. I was like, Ma, this is the last cigarette I'm smoking for a long time. Um, ended up pulling up to the house. Uh, family members were outside. The detectives had just left. Um, everybody was screaming and hollering and trying to figure out what I did. Um, and I knew my life. I knew what was going on then. Um, but as far as like culture and everything, I talk a lot about that on my TikTok. And that's really what started running the views up because I was trying to get people to understand like, I, yeah, I was living for the last X amount of years, but I was literally in a time capsule. And there's so many of us, because a lot of us that were getting locked up in the early 2000s were coming home now. A lot of us were getting hit with 15s, 20s, 17s. And a lot of us, we just been waiting, you know, that, but at the same time, we're so disconnected. Um, 50 Cent was like, I think, no matter of fact, I had got locked up before and 21 questions had dropped. Because when 21 questions dropped, I was sad. I was sitting in the, sitting in the, sitting in the jail sad. You remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, what else was hot? Styles P, Gangster, mm. and Gentlemen. I don't even know if some people don't remember who Styles P was. <laughs> but anyways, hopefully. Um, As far as, I'm trying to think, movies. I can't remember about movies too much. But the phones, Nextel Church, there was no text. Oh. I think my, I think my girlfriend at the time was texting but i think it was like two dollars a, a text so it was crazy so nobody did it um it was just different there was no i don't think there was no no, no facebook obviously no TikTok, none of that my <laughs> my space was there but i don't even know some of y'all remember black uh black planet that's a throwback social uh, platform but yeah that was that was what was going on man it was just different and now i'm here and 2022 which is yeah it's definitely different now <laughs> so what were some of the things that shocked you the most about you know what's going on in the world today Everybody, i actually just saw a tiktok you made recently about um when you got out and the world is crazy everybody's angry there's covid yeah um, everybody is angrier in here than they are in prison <laughs> which is crazy you would think it's I don't get, you know, I, I when I was leaving prison, I remember I was like, oh, I can't wait to come home, obviously. And I'm glad I'm here. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but, man, everybody's angry out here. Everybody's aggravated. Everybody's agitated. And I I, think, I feel like everybody needs to just go do, like, two weeks in jail 
and then lose everything, get stripped of just cement and steel, don't call your family, and then hopefully, you know, you'll be a little bit more grateful on the other side of this, because if people really knew, despite what's going on out here, how good they got it, mm. like, I'm telling you, man, but that's that's the thing that trips me out the most. Um, everybody's on edge, everybody's got anxiety, <laughs> um, you know, I got my younger brother, he's my little brother, he's out here. Um, I try going to the lounges with him. You know, every now and then he'll do that, but no, it's too it's just too hectic. Um, yeah, it's just too loud out here. Not I don't, crazy. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. I don't know at you know, I wasn't here for mm -hmm. everything. I hear and that's another thing I like about the TikTok or even on the YouTube, people are interacting in the comments, they'll mention certain things I can't necessarily relate to, but a year in general that people speak about is 2016. They're like, that's the last good year. I don't see you. I don't know what, I don't, maybe you agree with, maybe you don't. I don't know what's going on, but that was a comment that kept getting thrown in there. And I'm like, all right, but what else helped shape? Why are y'all so angry? What happened after <laughs> 2016? You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I ain't trying yes. to get Everybody loves 2016. I don't know what happened in 2016, but hey. that was the revolutionary year for everybody. Okay. Well, <laughs> hopefully 2023 will be something like 2016. Hopefully. Uh. Okay. So you got um, convicted. You're doing your 19-year sentence. Um, so let's talk about relationships. And if you can try to kind of think of maybe like some little stories you can tell for these kind of questions that I'm going to ask. So no, like sorry. as far as relationships, was it hard to maintain the relationships you had outside of prison, you know, family, girlfriends, friends, or was it easier to just let that go and just start creating new relationships? It was better for me to let go when i when because i knew i was getting time they didn't give me bail or bond or anything like that uh, but it was hard for me to let go mm. um unfortunately but fortunately i didn't have to make the choice because when i looked up the only the only person that was in the courtroom with me was my mama um i went from man hey like i said i had i had a nice it, it's crazy and i took i I was just talking to youngins today. I said, man, be careful who you're running with. I said, because when you're in your lowest, nine times out of ten, they ain't going to be around. Um, my girlfriend, well, fiance at the time was gone before he even got sentenced. Not yeah, saying yeah, not saying that I was the perfect, you know what I'm saying, guy, none of that, you know what I'm saying. But I mean, that's that would have been hard on her, too. Huh? Yeah, most definitely. Um, but even, even, you know, partners of mine, stuff like that, people disappeared. It's funny because uh you know years went by i was in there i might not have even gotten a letter and now i got people reaching out to me mm. but it is what it is man. um as far as like relationships penitentiary jail to put it simply it, it's designed to destroy those you know if you if you've got a relationship um that's surviving incarceration then it's a real one because it's mm. hard it's hard Definitely. Especially, yeah, especially when you're dealing with somebody that's got numbers like years and not months Hmm. So when you got behind those walls, was it easy for you to not replace, but, you know, kind of build a like familial wall around you or like um, were you able to date? Were you able to, you know, get yeah. that family? Yeah. Um, it's one thing I relied on in jail 
in uh in prison was the fact that I was a pretty smart guy. Uh, I've always believed in the rule that the smartest guy in the room controls it, or smartest man in the room controls it. Uh, I'm not saying I was the smartest person in the room anywhere that I went, but I was good at communicating, um, connecting people, even in that environment. And I was able to help guys with paperwork, stuff like they think certain things they needed because I had a certain level of education being prior military, um, having uh, college courses under my belt, stuff like that. I used all these things to my advantage, but I also was able to connect with them because I, had, I, I knew the streets. Um, so out, even in the jail, I had formed like a little mob, a little crew um, that followed me in the prison. Um, and my my hustler, I guess my hustler instinct when I was incarcerated really helped me form who was going to be around me because I got some guys to this day that I call my brothers because we didn't have nothing but some ramen noodles, you know, and we was trying to figure out how we going to eat in the worst of situations. Um, you know, we, we did some things. We made some moves. Um, some people agree with it. Some people won't. You know, we weren't running around robbing anybody. We weren't extorting anybody we weren't doing any of that um but we were hustling um as far as relationships um like i said i built you build family you're doing years in certain cases you might have a cell partner for two years straight or be in the same pod with 90 people for three years straight you know what i'm saying that's just your environment that's the reality so you're gonna bond you're gonna click with people it's hard to really stand alone in that environment mm -hmm. you can uh but more than likely you're going to be linked with somebody um it's just human instinct uh, outside of that i would say the prison is just like the streets and that's what we got to understand for me i started dating a kitchen staff member um i dated her for four years you know what i'm saying i used to go work in staff dining feed the co's i used to be there from eight to five on the weekends um she was my supervisor she would be there eight to five we would have conversations the bond formed and we started rocking um, and shout out to her because we're still great friends to this day. Um, but that's what I, that's another thing that people always ask me about is prison really like the streets? Anything you want, anything that you want to experience, anything you want to obtain that's here on the streets, you can get in prison. You know, depending on where your mind's at, your drive, your resources, etc. Okay. Um, I want to get back to you dating a prison staff worker. Um, mm -hmm. Was she like of the, she was, what am I trying to say? Did she work there as an, like an, I don't know, an officer or a? No, she was uh, just kitchen staff. They just had regular kitchen staff that would come in, make sure the Okay, meals. so like in the free world, basically? Mm-hmm. And she, okay. that, yeah, that was her job. Um, You know, it, it just happened. Where I was at, on the institution I was at, Greensville Correctional Center, they called that the, the city. And not for nothing, the side that we were on S3, and I can talk about this because it's years later now, there, honestly, if if a female that I knew was like, should I get a job as a corrections officer? I would tell them, hands down, no. Because when you have spots like S3, Greensville, the city, every I felt like every woman every that worked over there, they were dealing with one of us. And a lot of times they felt pressured into it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We're going to be, it weren't always a case like mine where we just been building for months and we have a good conversation and feelings occur and you're like, Oh, you locked up, but I'm still rocking with you. 
sometimes women go into those environments because there's no other jobs around in the area. Prisons a lot of time are in rural areas. They're going into, you know, they're scared. They're surrounded by hundreds of men. So they're going to click and connect to somebody that's going to make them feel safe or protected in that environment. Um, it happens, man. You know what I'm saying? But uh, my relationship, man, to be honest with you, it was dope because it was my first adult relationship. I How was old locked, were you? At the time, I was dealing with, I had to get the years straight. Because I met my wife while I was locked up, too. Met my wife in 2017. So from actually five years, from 2012 to 2017, um, me and my ex were talking. So okay. 10 years ago, so I was 29 when we okay. first started talking. Yeah. So you had been in there about 10 years or 10 years. And mm -hmm. then you said you met your wife. How did you meet your wife? Um. So, you know, again, I was good at communicating. Um, when I got out the, the, uh, the wild and out stage of me doing time, when I started getting older, when I started realizing I, I want to go home, I got a chance to go home. This is not life. Um, because I had influence in the environment, the wardens on a lot of institutions, counselors, et cetera, they used to reach out to me um, to sit on different panels. Um, I've sat down on panels of like Old Dominion University out of Virginia, ECPI, um, different things like that. And I started being able to teach and facilitate different programs. They let me create programs um, that basically help guys get good time. And I also had a job as uh, what they call an inmate advisor, which I helped defend guys whenever they got charges in the institution. Oh, wow, so I, that's cool. Yeah, I was working. I was doing a lot of work like that, um, which was setting me up to a lot of what I'm doing nowadays. But I met my wife, um, her friend or her sister, they, they call each other sisters, they're best friends, um, married a guy that was locked up on St. Bride's. I had did a seminar on um, the importance of communication when you have a loved one incarcerated. And she had heard me speak, and she decided she wanted to introduce. Oh, no, where did he go? I'm right there. She, he had, um, she had decided that she wanted to introduce me to her homegirl um just because she was in a business i was in a business she had liked what i was doing and we had a phone conversation one day out the blue and things just developed like so was she know. were they working there or they were just what were they doing there no Did she had know? she had came into the institution a lot of times uh on those lower levels family members friends could come in they could participate in programs with their loved ones getting ready to come home okay. and yeah i was speaking at an event that day um and she had never seen anybody you know that was incarcerated she said that you know had carried himself the way that i did which i was humble but she was like yo you need to speak to my sister she's into the nonprofit work um you make a good public speaker and that's what it was supposed to be but by the end of the first phone call um my wife now she's like can i pray for you and that was over with i was like yeah i was like if she give me a chance i said i'm on my way home too yeah. <laughs> Well, congratulations to you two. I hope that that lasts forever. That's beautiful that you were able to find that. Appreciate that. So let's get into the guards. Um, as far as like protection for an inmate, um, because, you know, obviously the message that we're trying to get across is this is not a place you want to be. This is not cool. This is not fun. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> as far as somebody either protecting themselves or is that basically on you to protect yourself or is the guard going to stick his neck out when somebody is trying to harm you, put you in a dangerous situation? You've got to protect yourself. Mm. Um, usually you can have on a higher level institutions. I was all the way. I started off on a level four, which is maximum security. Um, it's basically at like 19 and 19. Wow. Uh, because of my age, because when I left the jail, I had a gang card because I had a group, me and a group of guys basically stood up because they served us breakfast and it was, I don't know, it was messed up. It was a whole situation, but basically because we stood up for ourselves. Um, but you have to protect yourself. You got to, the guards are, you, you got to figure, like there's 90 people in the dorm and maybe two of them. One of them mm -hmm. in, the, in a tower or a control booth and then maybe one on the floor. And then you got to look at the fact that they're probably only getting paid 17, 18, 19 dollars an hour. Are they really going to risk their life uh, for a guy that they're looking at as a criminal, convict, felon, etc.? Some of them, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I have met some good correctional officers that did their job and I would never look at them. It, you know, I've seen correctional officers save some people's lives. But the majority of times, because I've seen some really bad things happen behind those walls, those officers are running the opposite directions until they get numbers. So a lot of times when you get into a situation, you got to be able to hold yourself down for a minute or two before all the officers come. Um, mm. and, and it gets scary because prison is prison is really the concrete jungle. You know, anything you might anything that if anybody's watching this and they think that they're going hard in the streets and the difference is out here, you can hide in there you got the worst of the worst and there's no hiding, there's no ducking. Um, and it is what it is. You, you're going to find out real quick who you are and prison is definitely not what's happening. So you kind of just segue into, um, my next couple of questions because I want to know about the transfers. Like, is that something you're in control of? Are they just moving you wherever they want to move you? It depends. So um, if you stay out of trouble, typically, if you stay out of trouble for 12 months on a, on a compound, your level drops, you can put in for you can request up to three different um, spreads or institutions. Um, but if you were a guy like me uh, in certain situations, guys had me on their enemy list. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that because I was on any type of, uh, you know, negative time. Of that. It's just that guys didn't like the influence aspect with me. So I couldn't get to certain institutions. Um, and then aside from that, they had administrative transfers, which basically means if a guy dropped the kite on you or if the administration felt like you had too much uh, movement or power on a compound, they would just up and move you. Um, in my case, I spent over four years in solitary confinement, which is something else that we're fighting about right now when it comes to mental health. Um, and everything else, because I, not only did I spend four years in solitary confinement, but over two and a half years of that, I was under investigation with no charge. Mm. So, yeah. So okay. it just depends. It's the luck of the draw. At the end of the day, you're never really in control, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does make sense. Um, so I know you, you just mentioned, um, you know, basically you have to take care of yourself. And so is it hard or, you know, easy to kind of maneuver throughout the system? Let's say if you are hiding from somebody or trying to run away from something, 
is that, you know, something you think I could just put in for a transfer or. No, or, you no, you can't, you can't get away unless you go to protective custody, which a lot of times is, is probably from what I hear is difficult to get to PC. Uh, you can't get away because the penitentiary is like high school and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter where you're at. Everybody's been moved. You know, these eight guys just came from this camp. These nine guys are going to this camp. So every somebody knows somebody everywhere. And because you're cut off from the outside world, the news, the gossip, the politics, everything, um, even religious conversation, any of that, it's all based on what goes on behind those walls. So if you've done something that is considered a violation, you put on blast and it, the word gets out quick. And not only does it get traveled through the, the, the prisoners, a lot of times, you know, the guards travel the word too. Hmm. So that is another one of my questions about how the information spreads so quickly and there's no cell phones in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how is information spreading so quickly? Um, every, I mean, like I was saying, obviously we see people post it. It trips me out. I don't know why guys are doing it. Um, and I hope nobody's falling for the trick. Please don't think prison's cool, y'all. People post from prison. I don't know if they change the rules where everybody else is at or they just don't care. Another Because social media trips me out. I can go into all that. <laughs> but people post the craziest stuff. Um, my generation, we didn't do that. We moved in silence. But teach is on, right? Um, right? I'm just here to say hopefully some of y'all wake up. Uh, you can definitely get cell phones. I, that used to be one of my hustles. I used to hustle cell phones, um, because I was dealing, you know, with a guard or two that used to bring stuff in for me. Um, communication though, as far as word, it gets traveled from compound to compound relatively easy because of the gang culture. Um, again, because of people getting transferred, it just is what it is. Um, but real quick note about those cell phones. Where I was at, you get caught with one. That's an additional one to five years on your sentence. So mm. I don't know about everybody else, but yeah. And I heard um, from one of the other prisoners, or not prisoners, ex-prisoners that I watched mm -hmm. on YouTube, uh, Banky Pound, he said that mm -hmm. the reason that the cell phones are such a big deal is because really they don't want y'all recording what's really going on behind those walls. Showing yeah. people most definitely that's that's what it comes down to we like when COVID hit you've seen a lot of videos coming out what was really going on behind those walls a lot of y'all you know thank goodness you don't really know what's going on COVID really hit the system especially where i was at in 2019 the end of 2019 um they were quarantining us locking us down in pods confining us with the sick i haven't got it the whole time i'm grateful uh, but it is what it is it's definitely banky pound shout out to him too um it's definitely that that has to be the issue because if everybody had a phone there would be less violence um there would be less issues at the phones period because a lot of times there might be six phones for 90 guys uh, it only makes sense at a lot of the jails they let you have tablets and call off um call off the tablets etc pay a monthly fee uh, but in the prisons yeah they definitely because the prisons it's third world countries in there mm. and they don't they don't want it exposed there's there's issues with everything that is summertime there's issues with air condition i had two guys call me from one compound not away um to tell me they don't have any ac right now and they don't have fans and they're burning up and they won't talk about it on the news so now we got to get on now we got to get out here and do some work but no nah, they definitely don't want you to have they don't want us to have access and they don't want us to have and i say us because ex-felons felons, felons 
I feel like we all under the same boat, right? They don't want us to have knowledge. They don't want us to have certain information. If those guys have phones behind those walls like that, mm. there's no there's no telling. Because you've got some of the smartest, brightest minds behind those walls. They just need information and access. So the tablets that they give y'all, are you able to access the internet or no? No, I mean, now I can't speak, at least where I was at, um, at the time they had JP5s. Basically, they were real. So you could download music from a kiosk. You could download your pictures, your emails, but you didn't have any access to, to you couldn't, you know, get onto the web and browse or anything like that. Um, it was really, really controlled. Mm, of course. <laughs> of course, everything's controlled. Uh, okay, okay. So let's see. Um, you did mention, well, you didn't mention the jobs, but you did mention hustling. And so next, I kind of want to talk about the jobs. Um are you forced to work? And then like, I want to kind of talk about the pay and then um, like prison jobs versus just like hustling in prison. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh man, I can break. Yeah, I can, I can touch on all that real quick. So like most institutions, you're definitely forced to get a job. Uh, I'm, no, I'm going to say it depends on the institution. Some some camps they don't want you to work. They don't, they'd rather you sit idle, catch charges, so they can keep you up there, and not be active. Some institutions you're gonna have to work because they got they're called work camps, etc. Um, the average pay is twenty seven cents an hour. I usually had the best paying jobs in the institution. That means I was making forty five cents an hour. Um, yeah, in certain cases you can get an enterprise job, which basically means um they're outsourcing outsourcing prison labor for profit which makes we were getting paid 62 cents to do jobs that were easily probably getting them 30 40 dollars per garment that we touched um mm. prison labor is major uh it is what it is we we pick fields just like people did back in the day um you know me and a buddy of mine who just moved down here to atlanta we were talking to my wife about you know, one summer they had, they, they, we were out there picking uh, candy yams or sweet potatoes until we, you know, we basically got heat exhaustion. Um, they up there on the horses with the with the silver revolvers, riding up and down the roads, and y'all out there, which you just just like back in the day. But this is stuff they don't want you to talk about. Um, but mm. yeah, so these are the type of job. A lot of times, the jobs are um, they're definitely. I'm just gonna say they are what they are. You know, they're, they're kind of the worst of the worst. If you're lucky, you can get a job in the kitchen um, because that's a good job to have if you wanna eat, <laughs> if you wanna access to more food. Um, for myself, that's one of the jobs I, I used to always try to get early on because I could steal out the kitchen. So mm -hmm. I, I basically had two two streams of revenue right there. I had my little 27 cent paycheck, 27 <laughs> cents for 30 hours a week, I think it was. Um, and to put that into perspective, we got paid 27 cents an hour and a ramen noodle was 36 cents. So we can we had to work more than one hour just to get a, a noodle. Um and three That's hours. $8. Yeah, no question. Yeah. That and then they take and then they take 15% of that and put it in your savings account for when you go home, which is good for some guys, a lot of guys. But was your savings account was it looking like something mm -hmm. when you came home? I mean, yeah, but I was always the type when I used to get money or whatever, I used to put to the side anyways. And then when I was hustling, which I'll I touch on now, 
So my whole bid, I hustled up until basically my last two or three years. Um, when I say I hustled, I, my first job in the kitchen, I started stealing vegetables, brown sugar, um, sugar for the wine makers. Um, the old white dude named Kentucky showed me how to make wine. I started making gallons of wine. Then I traded my wine to, to the, the, the weed. I don't know if I can say it on, but the weed guy. Um, and then got on like that until I can get my own, what they call a roller or a guard um, to bring in. You know, at the time, I think I, we started off with oil. I was getting oils brought in just because guys wanted to smell good when they went to the visits. Um, and I didn't want to take the risk of getting drugs brought in at the time. I was like, well, I could still make money like this. Um, but hustling is important. Um, I used to live on a poker table, uh, which I'm proud of myself recently. I, I had the opportunity to gamble. I didn't, I didn't think I ever had a problem with it, but in prison, it's, I mean, it's one of the ways you survive. Um, I mean, I've done everything. I ran bingo games in the tent. Like you gotta be innovative. You gotta be innovative. You gotta create, um, and you gotta do what you do. I was never one of those guys, even when I, I was in a uh, relationship with my ex or my wife, I never got money from them. You know, if they sent me money, it was like on a humbug, a holiday. Um, I got I got into an argument with my, my wife when we you know, before we got married one time, because I sent the money back and she felt disrespected. But I was used to I'm just used to always getting it. Even to this day, you know, I go I get up in the morning, I'm a garbage man, I come home, take my shower, I go to our school, I'm a principal. Like I hustle mm -hmm. all day. Yeah, I hustle all day. So I've been the same way in there in the pen. Just is what it is my whole life. So the fact that you said um, you know, you didn't really like to ask for money, um it's like it's kind of weird to me how they have people incarcerated, but it's like your family has to foot the bill, you know, in oh. order for you to eat, in order for you to have it anything. Is. Yeah. So it's kind of like they kind of force you into hustling, which, you know, can ultimately get you in trouble. Yeah. It's like a cycle of traps. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a catch. It's a catch 22 for sure. Um, Cause a lot of times they'll transfer to you to transfer you to an institution that's um, far enough away that it's going to cause a tax on gas for your family to come see you um, to use the phone. It's going to be X amount of dollars just for one phone call. Uh, everything is money related. You come to the visitation room, get, get a bottle of water out the machine. It's X amount of dollars. Um, everything just to send your loved one. Uh, I sent a buddy of mine uh, $40 for commissary and they taxed me to send him the money. You mm. know, everything. It's a money driven industry. It's a big business industry, man. The, the cat is out the bag, though. Everybody knows it now. And then they want to pay y'all 27 cent an oh. hour. And make plenty of money off us. And make plenty of money. So, um, one of the last questions I want to get into is the food. Because I know people are so big on the commissary. But one of my biggest questions is how do you live that long eating all that junk food? All those fats and sugars. Um, you don't. A lot of guys come home. Uh, blood uh, Excuse me high blood pressure, diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, I made it all the way to my last year and I got hit with high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, and it, it was like, it's, it, it messed me up because I'm a pretty, I'm a decently healthy, you know, healthy guy. I still run, I'm active, um, but the diet, right? You just hit it, it's all sugar and salt. It's all gas station food. 
you don't want to eat out the kitchen half the time because it's nasty in there. There's rats crawling on the pipes. There's roaches in there. Yeah, it, it is what it is. If you work in the kitchen, it's one thing. You can clean. You know, you can make sure you can grab your food. You can cook, depending on the situation. Uh, if you get money, you're gonna get commissary. You know, you're gonna you're gonna eat that way. A lot of times, I would try to certain periods of my bid, I would try to go vegetarian. Um, mm. But it would be hard to do that because all they serve you is beans. There's no other options. It's hard to go. You really got to have a certain type of discipline to be, you know, a vegetarian um, in the system. Outside of that, I would go on stints where I would eat nothing. I'm talking about for months at a time, but oatmeal, um, powder milk, tuna, um, basically the healthiest things, I, uh, brown rice, the healthiest things I, I could obtain off commissary. Um, and then, you know, get green peppers, onions, stuff like that from the kitchen. But you got to have money to eat. And that's another reason. If you don't hustle, you're going to starve. They don't feed you. The, the, the portions that they feed you is it's almost enough to keep you. I, I, it's what we used to say. It's enough to take you, take you, keep you from starving, but you'll still be hungry. That's what we used yeah. to say about the meals, if that makes sense. And then they want to send you out in the fields getting heat exhaustion uh, with no food no question uh, you go or you get sent out on the road they give you uh two bologna sandwiches uh mott's applesauce that they give you know a small child um and a small carton of milk and an apple until you go pick for eight hours you know mm. or you know whatever it is because there's different types of jobs you can be on a construction crew you could be out there on a pavement for eight nine hours um and the whole time you're working you're under the gun um you're in the heat because these are jobs that a lot of times are being outsourced from the city etc um agriculture those types of jobs the jobs where they can't really get people to work them or you know people don't want to work for that pay because they mm. can get us they can get us to do it for cents on the dollar i guess because you have no choice huh no choice wow mm. okay well that um wraps up all of my questions was there anything you wanted to talk about that i didn't get to um no i mean i just say uh appreciate you for reaching out you know what <laughs> yes. I'm um a couple people have definitely been reaching out definitely love being on board networking with people got the podcast coming soon um shout out to queen l my new co-host definitely want to shout her out um, what's your podcast so it's the 100 tv we're gonna be up here on youtube it's gonna be crazy trying to okay. tell y'all we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit everything but it's gonna be crazy um and queen l's dope too she's 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 definitely a good she, she yeah we see things different but the same so that's cool um shout out to everybody that's been following on tiktok all that stuff um if you're in the atlanta area um feel free to reach out on any of my social media accounts we're doing work down here everything from feeding the homeless um i am the ed and owner of last and layers of beauty institute of cosmetology school down here um we're doing scholarship giveaways right now as we speak and i've lowered the tuition on purpose just because i'm crazy and want to see people win um my story is different i've been out here actually and a lot of people don't know that i didn't just come home i've been home for about two years um okay. and i've been yeah and i've been running a million miles an hour also big into prison advocacy and fighting to free my brother uh, Jefferson Ellie, right now we've got over 188,000 signatures in support of his release sitting on the governor's desk in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, so prayers up for that. But Where we can working. we find that? Where can we get to sign that? 
Uh, it's on change.org. Um, if anybody, I'm not sure my link tree is up on any of my social media accounts, but if you follow me up on Facebook, my group page over there, I'm going to get it up, and then I'm going to see if I can post it in a couple other spots. So that's where it's been on change.org, Jefferson Ellie. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely gonna go in your TikTok bio and um, or will you send me the link tree? So yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm definitely gonna sign that for you guys. Appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. We definitely enjoyed hearing your story. Most definitely appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. And so we will be seeing you um, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, on your upcoming podcast. And we look forward to hearing from you. All right. And appreciate y'all. Appreciate the support. Keep grinding. Hey, and everybody, anybody that's watching, man, anybody, man, keep chasing your dreams. Keep crushing those goals. And there's no perfect time. Just get out there and figure it out. Make it work while you're doing it. For real. Period. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our show today. You have a wonderful day and good night, everybody. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. You take it easy. All right, everybody. That is our second show. That was uh, very smooth. That was a very good interview. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, The 100 TV. So um, I definitely got some more interviews coming up for you guys. Um, Yeah, so just stay tuned, okay? Stay tuned. We got stuff coming. We got stuff coming. (laughs) Peace. Thank you for watching.